Let's turn first of all to Hebrews, Hebrews 11, and read the text, and we'll go back to Genesis. Hebrews 11, the text for this evening's sermon is verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is and heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. With that in mind, let's turn back now to Genesis chapter 17. We read Genesis 17, a text well known to many of us with the covenant promise made there to Abram. We read this because it helps us understand what is the content of the promise that Hebrews 11 speaks of. So let's have that in our minds here, that this is God giving the content of the promise. Genesis 17 And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, Ask for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. He that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, Every man-child in your generations, he that is born in the house, or bought with money of any stranger, 
which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that people, that rather that soul, shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee, behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. My covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear thee, bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day, as God had said unto him. And Abraham was ninety years old and nine, and he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised, and Ishmael his son. And all the men of his house, born in the house, and bought with money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. Thus far we read God's holy and an errant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of the Holy Scriptures. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the confession of faith that we make tonight in our hearts is revealed in the way that we live is this. We are pilgrims. And as we make this Confession of faith individually. We each say, I am a pilgrim. 
This is a confession that we can only make by the operations of the Spirit of Jesus Christ within our hearts. Were it not for the indwelling Spirit, we would have no conviction of that reality. Yea, we would want nothing to do with that reality. We would make a markedly different confession if it were not for the Spirit of Jesus Christ within us. This is a confession that comes out of our hearts and it has implications for everything that we say and do in our lives. When I am a parent and I present my child for baptism, I present that child with this awareness, I am a pilgrim. When one gets married and is united to their spouse in that one flesh union, one does so with this awareness, I am a pilgrim. And at last, when God takes a loved one from us through death, and there is their body in the coffin, again we are struck with this reality. I am a pilgrim. That's what the patriarchs confessed. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. I am a pilgrim is the theme of the sermon tonight. First, we'll see that this is the Christian's Confession. Second, the reason for it. Why are we able to make this confession? And then third, the implication of it. The confession that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob made, after all, they are the ones being referred to here when it says these all died in faith. That's a reference to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the confession that they made was that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. That I am a pilgrim means that my permanent residence is not on this earth. That my citizenship is not here below. But that I am dwelling in this place temporarily. That I am a pilgrim and a stranger on this earth means that the citizenship that I have belongs to a different place. And we'll look more later on at where our citizenship is at. But for now we note our citizenship is not of this earth because I am a pilgrim. 
The behavior of one who is a pilgrim on this earth is quite different from one who does not confess that he or she is a pilgrim on this earth. The one who doesn't confess that they're a pilgrim on this earth must necessarily say then that I am a citizen of this earth. And because I am a citizen of this earth then, I seek this earth. All of my wants, all of my desires, everything that I would hope for as one who is a citizen of this earth is then limited by the horizon of this earth. If I am a citizen here below, then all I can hope for, all I can dream about is success upon this earth. And so this earth then limits the scope of my ability to hope and to desire, my ability to yearn and even to pray for something better. If I am a citizen here below, then all I can hope for is that things on this earth will get better, that my health will improve, that I will get more money, that I'll have more strength, that I'll have more abilities, that sickness and diseases on this earth will be eradicated. If I am a citizen of this earth, then the horizon of my thinking is limited to the things here below. But how different are the hopes the dreams, the prayers, and the aspirations of the one who is a pilgrim. His citizenship, your citizenship, is not here below. But your citizenship is heavenly. And so the horizon of your thinking is not confined to this earth. But the horizon of your thinking is elevated all the way to the heavens. You desire a better country that is a heavenly country. Because you are, by the grace of God, a pilgrim on this earth. How difficult it is for us to make this confession with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we are strangers and pilgrims upon this earth. Reality is it's a confession that we must make again and again and again throughout our lifetimes because we tend to forget about it. We go through cycles in life, for a while filled with a zeal for things heavenly, we make the confession from the bottom of our hearts that we are pilgrims upon this earth and we seek a heavenly kingdom, but then there comes that trial in our lives. And the devil uses that trial to take our eyes off of the things of the heavenly kingdom and to have us put our hopes and our desires fixed on the things of this earth. 
for a while. We go through life and we are content with what God has given us. But then there comes that advertisement for the vehicle, the clothing, the property for sale. And it catches our attention and we forget right away that I am a pilgrim. And so God leads us again to see the emptiness of the hope, hoping in things of this earth. And to show us once again that I'm a pilgrim on this earth. How difficult to make this confession, but beloved also this. How comforting to be able to confess, I am a pilgrim. You see, if I wasn't able to confess that I am a pilgrim on this earth, then I would be of all men the most disappointed. If you could not confess that this earth is simply the place where you are temporarily sojourning, But if instead you would put all of your hopes and your dreams and your aspirations in this earth, then how disappointing would be your existence upon this earth. It would be miserable to live upon this earth without the hope of something better after this life. If day after day one goes through the drudgery of things here below, the pain of afflictions and hardships, the disappointments in relationships, and they had no hope of anything ever being better for them, no hope of life after this earth, then how sad would be one's existence upon this earth. But what comfort we have as God's children knowing that I'm a pilgrim. When we stand at the graveside and weep, Over the death of a loved one, we remember the confession that the loved one made. I am a pilgrim. And so the loved one has gone where they've always wanted to go. To that better country, heaven. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob made it abundantly clear that they were strangers and pilgrims. Verse 14 tells us that when it says, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. This sets forth now positively that which we long for. We're a pilgrim on this earth, and so we said our citizenship is not on this earth. But then where is our citizenship? They that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. A country, that's where our citizenship is at, in this country. The way that the King James translates this word, it's a word that doesn't have much meaning in it immediately, that word country. But there's another way that this word could be translated, and this I believe to be very helpful. It can also be translated as fatherland. That's what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob desired, a fatherland. 
For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a fatherland, a descriptive and a rich word. That's what our hearts are set upon, that fatherland, the land where our father dwells. That's where our citizenship is at, where our father is at. That he is our father means that we are his children. And that's why our citizenship is in that land, because he has created us, because he has redeemed us, because he has given unto us as our father newness of life in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the Father who has given unto us the quickening spirit of Jesus Christ. The Father who opens wide his hand unto us and who gives us all things that we need for our bodies as well as for our souls. That then is the yearning of the Christian. I want to be with my Father. The Christian yearns to be with the Father. The Christian at times is overwhelmed with homesickness to be with his father. The patriarchs of old made it abundantly clear that they yearn to be with their father. The text says, they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. They declared it plainly. It was evident unto anyone who knew our spiritual fathers that this earth was not their home, but that they yearned for, sought after, and prayed for that fatherland. It could have been that people who knew Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob disagreed with them, It could have been that there were men who argued with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and said, you are foolish for putting your hopes in this fatherland. You're going to live in a tent all the days of your life. You're going to leave behind your family in Ur of Chaldees and go to this strange land of Canaan. What a foolish individual you are. It could very well have been that people objected to them seeking this fatherland. But there would have been no doubt in the minds of anybody who knew Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they desired the fatherland. Will the same be said of you and of me? It could be that there are people who mock you for it. People who ridicule you for your Christian walk. People who will withdraw from you. Who would rather have nothing to do with you because of your confession. And so let it be, but let your lifestyle and my lifestyle be such where we declare plainly that we seek 
the fatherland. In the homes that we buy, in the way that we use our money, in the clothing that we wear, let it be clear that we seek the fatherland. For what reason did the patriarchs seek this fatherland? What gave them the ability to walk as strangers in this land of Canaan? That which gave them the ability to do this was the word of God. God had come unto them and God had given them his promise. And that promise sustained them in Canaan. Verse 13, these all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them. text says they received not the promise, but saw them, the promises, afar off. This could lead one to believe that, well, did the patriarchs not receive any word from God? Did Did God not bring to them the the promise of the covenant? That evidently cannot be the case here. We read through Genesis chapter 17, which is replete with the promises of God to make a great nation out of Abraham. And so when it says here that they receive not the promises, it cannot be that they did not in any form receive the word of God. But rather the idea is this, when it says they received not the promises, what it means is they received not the fulfillment of the promise. Yes, they had the promise. Yes, they had God's word unto them. It was God's word that called Abraham out of Ur of Chaldees. It was God's word that brought Abraham into that land flowing with milk and with Honey, they certainly had that word of God, but they had the promise of God simply in its beginning state. We might say they had it in principle, but not in completion yet. And so that's the sense then in which the writer of Hebrews says they receive not the promises, that is, they didn't receive them in their full reality yet, but. They saw these promises afar off and they were persuaded of these promises and they embraced these promises. These promises that God gave unto the patriarchs evidently were very meaningful unto the patriarchs. They were important to them, so important to the patriarchs that the patriarchs were willing to make great sacrifices because of this promise unto them. They valued these promises. These promises were more important unto them than earthly possessions and earthly comforts. They were willing to leave behind family and friends in Mesopotamia in order that they might follow this promise, this word of God. How important these promises were. So what then were 
these promises. These promises that compelled them to do such difficult things. In a word, the promise was covenant. That's what God promised unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenant. We read of that in Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17, verse 3, And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. And then God went on to list out a number of blessings that Abraham would receive in this covenant. He would receive this blessing, verse 4, Thou shalt be a father of many nations. Verse 6, I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Verse 8, another aspect of this promise, I will give thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And that's why then in Hebrews, the writer speaks of promises in the plural. One promise at its essence, and that is the promise of the covenant. But within that covenant promise, there are many different blessings that Abraham would receive. Abraham would be a father of many nations. Abraham's children would be incorporated into and included in that covenant. And Abraham would receive that land of Canaan according to God's promise. But at the center of all of these promises that God gave unto Abraham was this promise. The promise that God would be the God of the Israelites. Genesis 17, verse 8. The very end of that verse. And I will be their God. That's the covenant formula. You will be my people and I will be your God. That was the essence of this promise that God made unto the patriarchs. That God would establish a relationship with them. You will be my people and I will be your God. And this relationship that God was establishing with his people would not be merely a cold or a contractual relationship. It would not be simply a business relationship relationship established after a business model where I'll do something for you but then it's expected that you must do something for me and hopefully then we can both derive some benefit from this contractual relationship into which we enter. No, that wasn't the covenant that God established with Abraham and that's not the covenant that God establishes with you. 
The Christian who confesses, I am a pilgrim on this earth, knows that God has established with him a relationship of love and a relationship of intimacy. That's the nature of the covenant that God established with Abraham. It was a relationship in which God would be near unto Abraham. A relationship in which God would give unto Abraham the spirit. And the spirit would give unto Abraham the strength to live as a pilgrim and as a stranger upon this earth. A relationship in which God would delight in and find satisfaction in Abraham. And a relationship in which Abraham then, as the light of God's countenance shone down upon him, Abraham would delight in and find satisfaction in God. It was a relationship in which Abraham received everything that he needed from this God who had come down to Abraham in his tent and had established that relationship with the sojourning pilgrim upon this earth. That, beloved, is the beauty and the warmth of this relationship that God establishes with believers and with their seed. And when one comes to know that God, according to his sovereign and irresistible love, has established that type of a saving relationship with me, then the believer is motivated to make this confession. I'm a pilgrim and I'm a stranger here on this earth because I can't wait to be with my Father in heaven who sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. Abraham received these promises and he loved them. Verse 13, having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them and embraced them. Abraham, as it were, took these promises and and he, he drew them unto himself in a tender hug. That's what these promises meant to him. He embraced them. Literally, that word embraced means to salute, to give greetings unto someone. It has this idea that a friend comes to your house and comes knocking on the door, and you open the door, and ah, this is your friend whom you delight in, and so you give unto that friend a warm salutation a greeting of joy, and you take that person into your arms and into the fellowship of your home and give unto that person a place of rest and refuge in your home. You do this, of course, only to one who is your friend, to the stranger who comes knocking on your door. There is no warm embrace be kind and polite but not a warm embrace to the enemy who comes knocking on your door certainly in that case 
there is no embrace. This is an embrace, a warm greeting given unto one who is your friend. And so it was for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as they heard these promises of God, this covenant promise, they did not treat that promise as one treats a stranger. They did not treat that promise as one treats an enemy, stiff-arming that word of God away. But they received that promise of God and held that promise of God close to their heart. And so it is for every one of God's children. You see, we need this word of God, these promises that God gives unto us. We need that word of comfort and encouragement that God is to us our God and that we are His people. When the waves of tribulation would wash over us, when the hardships and trials of this life would take us and draw us away from Jesus Christ. And we need again and again that word of God. I will be your God and you are my people. And we hear that word of God and we embrace it. We memorize it. We hide it in our hearts. We take it with us in the workplace, in the home, and we confess that while we are on this earth, we are nothing but pilgrims and strangers. The implication of this confession was that there was no going back. For Abraham says in verse 15, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Just reading through that verse at face value, it almost seems to be presenting the idea that, well, if Abraham had had a change of mind, I suppose he could have gone back. If Abraham had thought about what this was going to cost him, moving to Canaan and had judged that the sacrifice wasn't worth it, maybe Abraham would have decided enough is enough and gone back to Mesopotamia. But the original Greek helps us understand here that what is being set forth is what's called a condition of unreality. The first part of the clause when it says, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out. The first part of the clause here is setting forth a condition that is not possible. It's a condition of unreality. It wasn't even possible for Abraham to be mindful of that country from whence he came out. Out. What a statement that is. To say that as Abraham was wandering out of 
Ur of Chaldees and brought first to Haran and then ultimately to Canaan, that it wasn't even possible for Abraham to be mindful of that country from whence he came out. Now this does not mean Certainly that Abraham never had any thoughts rise up in his mind about what he had left behind in Ur. It certainly does not mean that Abraham wouldn't have struggled at times, would not have felt very lonely in the land of promise as he dwelt there as a sojourner. But the idea is this, that as Abraham contemplated the heavenly city that was set before him, the joy, the anticipation of being in that heavenly city was so great that Abraham couldn't even entertain the possibility of going back to that land of Canaan. Verse 16 goes on. 15, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But, 16, now they desire a better country that is an heavenly. Abraham's mind was so filled with the thoughts of what God had in store for him that in Abraham's mind the choice, the decision was clear. I am leaving behind the things of this earth so I can follow God's word. There was no going back. For Abraham, no sitting on the fence, as it were, no halting between two opinions. But he was going the way that the Lord called him. Now what a relief that can be to us when we do the same. See, when our minds are torn between two two competing desires, on the one hand we cling to the things of this earth, but then on the other hand, we know we're also supposed to cling to the things of heaven. When on the one hand we seek some form of citizenship on this earth, we would like to have some sort of a place and reputation here below, but on the other hand we know that our citizenship is ultimately heavenly, then then there's this battle, this internal struggle that we endure as we compete between the desires on the one hand to live as a pilgrim and a stranger on this earth, but on the other hand, clinging tightly to the things of this earth. What a relief when one lets go of the hope of having a lasting name and reputation on this earth and commits oneself to seeking that heavenly city. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. How amazing that God would not be embarrassed to be the God of pilgrims and strangers. This God, who, as we were reminded this morning, possesses all things, this God who is infinitely wealthy, 
who is omnipotent, everlasting, this God who is holy, 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 and the whole earth is filled with his glory, this almighty God is not ashamed to be called the God of pilgrims and strangers. He does not remove association from those who are creatures of the dust. He does not abandon them and look for people who are stronger or mightier. But the Almighty God is not ashamed to be called the God of defenseless wilderness wanderers. The thrice holy and unchanging God is not ashamed to establish his covenant with spotted, wrinkled, tent-dwelling sinners on this earth. Such is the amazing love of our covenant God. Not only is he not ashamed to be our God, Though others might be ashamed of us, he isn't. And not only is he not ashamed to be called our God, but he proves that he's not ashamed of us. And he proves it through the construction of a city. Wherefore, he is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. How different is that city from the tents wherein God's people dwell upon this earth? How fortified is that city with thick, strong walls? How beautiful is that city with towers and spires so tall? How amazing are the songs that are sung by the inhabitants of that city, a beautiful melody that can be heard as a heavenly chorus is lifted up by the inhabitants of that city. God, through his Son, Jesus Christ, has prepared for them, for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and for you, his children, a city. And so while we remain on this earth, we confess, I'm a pilgrim, but I seek a better country that is and heavenly. Amen. Father, which art in heaven, we can hardly begin to comprehend the magnitude of thy love toward us. For who can measure what is the length and what is the breadth and what is the depth of thy love unto us? Give unto us conviction of the truth 
humility to follow it, thankfulness for the amazing truth of the salvation of us, thy children, through Jesus Christ. Send us home with thy blessing and receive our worship for Jesus' sake. Amen.